0: Welcome to In The Thick, it's Maria
1: Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela, and it's Friday, and it's ITT Sound Off. Yes, it's been almost a full week Mm. of looking at the Trump presidency being over. I mean, it's like for real, so that's our first topic. Yeah. The continued undermining of the election. (laughs) (laughs) And our democracy by a sitting American president. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's been almost a week since Joe Biden was announced as the president elect. Yet we're still seeing like the denials from many Republican officials, from Senator Lindsey Graham to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. There will be
0: a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right. We're, we're ready. The, the world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes.
2: When the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. <sighs> wow.
1: <laughs> Which I kind of wow. like Joe Biden's response to Mike Pompeo. He was like, <laughs> Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. <laughs> Just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Now they have yet, of course, because there is not proof of any kind of voter fraud. No, Trump. It's interesting to see how the media is slowly, you know, turning away from him. Trump continues to exist. It's not over. He's not conceding. But, you know, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, his friend, you know, they have officially congratulated Biden. Yeah. By the way, I'm flying to Mexico today. Are you going to go tell him the president? But, you know, (laughs) the president of Mexico, my country that used to enjoy giving a finger to the United States, is now the president, an indigenous leftist man. Who has all kinds of love from people. It's mind boggling. But on this particular issue, he's like, he will not recognize Biden until, quote, all legal issues are settled. Bueno, sabes que? Ay, por favor, ámlo, por favor. Pero por favor, coño, un par. Okay. (laughs) Now, even if Trump eventually does concede this, and basically, you know, the New York Times... Is saying that you know everybody's like, yo, it's like it's over, really. It's over. And Trump is still talking about running in 2024. And they're basically saying, like, yo, you can't run in 2024 and launch a television network. Basically, it's over.
0: But let's just talk. I mean, this is becoming the, the constant theme. We brought it up in the previous sound off for And
1: like for the past four years. For the past four years. <laughs> but hey, racist dog whistles
0: that are happening as Republicans are continuing to undermine the election. Joe Biden, as of Friday morning, has gotten over 77 million votes, according to the Associated Press. And everyone's pretending to be shocked at this and trying to label all these votes as, quote unquote, illegal. When we know it's cities with significant POC populations that help flip states like Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin for Biden. I mean, it's like people are like, how is this happening? And I'm like, because America showed up, people. (laughs) That's that's why it's happening. Also, hello, Arizona. I know. Finally officially called by every other major network. A week after Fox and AP. Correct. So listen, we wanted to share this clip by ProPublica reporter Jessica Huseman, who said this about the 2020 election on CNN's Election 101 podcast.
1: So first of all, let me say that. ProPublica managed a massive team of reporters on election day and then also during early voting um, through our project Election Land. We had 500 local reporters spanned out across the country to watch election administration and watch the vote. And let me tell you something. It was the most boring day of my life. Nothing went wrong. It was stunning, like a stunning achievement for American election officials. I mean, I have been reporting on and studying only election administration for the last four and a half years. And I think and I'm not exaggerating that 2020 was the best administered election that America
2: has ever seen.
0: Maria, (laughs) the most boring day as a reporter. Here's my question. It happened. It's secure. Like, what the hell?
1: Why are we even asking the question? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know why? Why? I mean, I think Sarah Cooper You know, the fabulous comedian whose career has taken off. Yeah. Literally taken off because of DJT. She basically said this is, you know, it's hard to repeat this, but she put on her Twitter. She said Republicans are basically saying black votes are illegal. Next, they're going to say that they're only worth three fifths of a vote. Oh, right. Yeah. This is what. You actually said this to Steve Cortez, Steve Cortez, (laughs) the Trump advisor who was on our show. But what is this Steve Cortez in standing in front of a whiteboard? I was like talking about Milwaukee and the turnout. Yeah. And he was basically like, there's just no way that Trump didn't win because of the turnout in places like in Wisconsin and Milwaukee and all of this. (laughs) And, And you were like. Uh, yeah. black and brown people live there. Have you been there recently, Steve?
0: You only live in Chicago, Steve. It's not that far away to get to Milwaukee. Just saying.
1: Yeah, no, he's not going. He is definitely not going to Milwaukee. So <laughs> I think that's why, <laughs> te lo juro, no van, they don't like Milwaukee. They poo-poo Milwaukee. And it used to be that Milwaukee was full of poor white people. And now they don't go because it's full of poor white people Black people and brown people. Wow. Remember, I was there yeah. a year ago reporting on a hate crime there. Yeah. Um, that was where the DNC was supposed to be. So thank you, Julio, for shouting that out to Steve Cortez, because that is the story of this election. Yeah. White people came out to vote for Donald Trump. Simple. Simple. And and black and brown and Asian and indigenous voters came out for Biden and Harris. It's simple. It's just simple because of what we've been saying, the grassroots organizers who were like, this is what we're going to do. Yep. You know, what's sad about this is just watching how Donald Trump, again, is attempting to take down any institution possible. And it is kind of interesting to have like judges saying to the lawyers, you know, you're you're about to lose your license for bringing up these frivolous lawsuits.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, listen, let's move on to our second topic.
1: Because we want to keep
0: pushing, even though democracy is being undermined. There is a Biden transition happening. So this transition process is still currently stalled, but, you know, it's established because, like we just said, Trump's refusal to concede. So Emily Murphy, who's a Trump appointee and the administrator of the General Services Administration, she has to officially recognize Biden as the president-elect to start the transition But as of this recording on Friday morning, she has yet to do so. Surprise, surprise. So this is what Biden said about Trump's refusal to concede during a news conference in Delaware on Tuesday.
2: I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that. uh, How can I say this uh, tactfully? I I think it will not. Help the president's legacy.
0: So. He was very understated. I thought he would just have said, like, come on, man. You know how he always does that. But in the meantime, Biden is still going ahead. He's forming his team. It's led by Delaware Senator Ted Kaufman. While he waits for the process to officially begin, he's already announced the coronavirus task force on Monday, which is likely going to become part of his COVID-19 team that's going to push for the legislation in this first 100 days. Immigration reform is also part of his 100 days plan, Mm. which essentially is just reversing everything Trump did from family separation to
1: the Muslim ban. We shall see. And returning to Obama era policies. And I'm like, we shall see. Okay. Obama era policies were so (laughs) fucked up for immigrants (laughs) and Latinos. I'm sorry. No, you're speaking the truth. I mean, you already saw that there are activists who are pushing back because Cecilia Munoz, who won a genius award from the MacArthur Foundation for her work on behalf of immigrants, the daughter of Bolivian immigrants, was basically the person who oversaw Barack Obama's policies of increasing and allowing deportations and family separations. You know, I understand that politics is difficult, but this is exactly what this moment is saying to people. It's like, right. What do you stand for? Right. And I think that is the only, you know, really powerful thing that's happening this moment. And is that, you know, people are like, we got you. We're going to be watching you. So the
0: accountability because Cecilia Munoz has been named like she's a key member. She's on the transition team.
1: Yeah. She's on the Biden
0: immigration and every immigrant rights organization lawyer that I have spoken to in the last week and a half to a person is like, can we pick somebody else? I'm I'm just being honest. Can we pick somebody else? So
1: and so this is where again, I don't think I told you this, Julio, but I had a moment on Sunday morning when I was sitting at the lake in Connecticut and I was just like, you know, looking at the sky. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Maybe our journalism had an impact maybe in the thick and Latino USA and Latino rebels had an impact. Yeah, I think so. And in this sense, I'm just putting it back because, you know, we're journalists. We are not activists. So I put this back on the people who listen. This is up to you. Whether or not Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do what they say they're going to do is up to you. We will push. Yeah. But it's up to you, is all I'm saying. And y'all kind of showed up for the election. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, please. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I do think this issue, like it has been an ongoing theme that we've asked, right? That, yes, we're going to push this. We're going to come out in record numbers, but we're also going to hold you accountable. And I think even with all this transition talk and I know people are like, well, he hasn't conceded. Don't fall into that trap. You know, this is what people said they were going to do. And that's what democracy is all about.
1: All right. So our final topic is, ay mi gente, my people, I'm so sad that we have to give yet again another update on the coronavirus, you know, and it's like sunny, sunny, sunny. And then it's like, oh no, it's not. Cases are continuing to surge across the country. More states are going back into shutdown mode. I mean, I haven't left shutdown mode. Right now there are 10.5 million cases nationwide. Over 240,000 people have died. There will be more deaths, sadly, in New York, where it seemed that the spread was getting under control. Governor Cuomo, he's back, announcing new restrictions on indoor gatherings, curfews for restaurants and bars beginning Friday. Cases are rising in New York. Texas was the first state to top one million cases, followed by California and now. El Paso County in particular mm. ay, mi El Paso, has quickly become one of the country's epicenters for the disease as current cases there have reached 30,000 nearly with 29 deaths reported on Thursday, one day alone. So in El Paso, the surge in deaths has left officials having to order 10 mobile morgues as the space filled up in the county medical examiner's office. This is what Michael Osterholm, one of the doctors on Joe Biden's new coronavirus task force, because he already has a task force. And this is what he said about the crisis to Yahoo Finance.
2: We are entering uh, this period that I call COVID hell. Uh, you know, back on Labor Day, we were at about uh, 23,000 cases of new coronavirus infection every day. Uh, today, we're going to be in the hundred and thirties, 140,000 again. And that number is going to keep rising rapidly. And you know, we've been predicting this as a combination of pandemic fatigue, people just being tired of trying to, you know, avoid the public and the places that put you at increased risk, pandemic anger, where up to a third of the U.S. population doesn't believe this pandemic is real to begin with, so why adhere to any kind of public health uh, recommendations? And then we just have indoor air. We have a situation where we're going indoors right now. We know that virus concentrations build up inside and transmission is much more there. So we have to tell the story of what's coming. People don't want to hear that El Paso isn't an isolated event. El Paso, in many instances, will become the norm. And, you know, we have healthcare systems right now that are overwhelmed already right now. And we're talking about potentially doubling the number of cases over this time period before the president-elect even takes office. And so I think that the message is, how do we get through this? We need FDR moments right now. We need fireside chats. We need somebody to tell America, this is what in the hell is going to happen. Yeah, And you know, Julio, El Paso and
1: Juarez was one of the last places that I visited. I was there in January of 2020. Oh, that's right. And then I was there during the massacre in 2019. Yep. And so El Paso, in many cases, is a laboratory for so many things in our country. Who do you think is being housed in those tent hospitals, in those makeshift morgues? I mean, it's Latinos, Latinas, the essential workers that continue to go to work. I mean, I'm just my heart goes out to them. But guess it? No, stay home, people. Please do not get together with big family groups.
0: I know. But here's the thing. This is where when you look at what's happened in the last year and how the Trump administration never took this seriously. I wonder about pandemic fatigue. Absolutely. If we actually took it seriously and there was a real national comprehensive plan like in April or May, where it was like, it was that FDR moment. You know what I mean? And it's like, like, you know what I was thinking about? It's like during World War II, where it's like, everyone's got to do their job, right? Like that type of right. communication never seeped into the American consciousness. So it, it really was pockets, right? It regions. I mean, that's where I think the biggest tragedy is of all this. It's because you had a president and administration who never took this seriously Pandemic fatigue is coming because
1: we've never solved the problem. And also, you know, like in New York. Yeah. When we were the first, everybody pulled together. It was that moment in New York. you're right. Like the entire city made up of so many different people from all over parts of the world. Right. We all pulled together. And the thing would have been, as goes New York, the rest of the country must follow. But we have. A guy who is the president of the United States, who is actually all about dividing and and destructing.
0: All about the Democrat states, you know, the Democrat states, all the failure governors. And he would mock Cuomo and he would mock Governor Whitmer and he would mock Governor Newsom, all these places that were trying to do it right. You know what I'm saying? And then mocked everybody. That was it. It was divided. All right.
1: This tweet is everything from Ari Berman. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There have been more Trump aides who have tested positive for coronavirus since the election than documented cases of voter fraud. (laughs) There's no lies detected there. Facts. Facts. (laughs) Facts, which hopefully we'll be able to talk about more and more, Julio, in the year 2021. But keep it real, people, because, you know, as you know, I still got my request out for my interview with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So we are keeping you accountable, people. That's our job. And I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And remember, dear listener, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. It really helps. Remember, you can listen to us on Pandora, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts on. Check us out on the web at inthefic.org. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell your family and friends because you never know when we might just decide to do another six-hour live show. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> okay, you never know. You're right, you're right. Well, you know, In the Thick is produced by Nicole Rothwell, Noor Saudi, and our New York Women's Foundation Ignite fellow, Harsha Nahata, yes. who came up with that crazy idea. I love it. Of like, let's just do six hours live. So much fun. With editorial support from Erica Dilde, our audio engineering team is Stephanie Lebeau, Julia Caruso, Leah Shaw, Alicia Baetube, and Gabriela Baez. Our digital editor is Luis Luna. Here's a little wink for you, Luis. Yep. You better be resting. And our intern, who is Sophie Day, is based outside of Chicago in Evanston, Illinois. Thanks to Raul Perez for recording me. The music you heard is courtesy of Nacional Captain CCK Records. Julio? Yeah? Me voy pa' Mexico? Uh, <laughs> the only thing I can think about is Guadalajara, Guadalajara. You're not even from Guadalajara, so I... I'm I, so I... not from Guadalajara, and that is so trite. <laughs> I can't even believe it. Have a great trip. This is the first thing that came to my head. I wish we were going together. I'll be in our querido Ciudad de Mexico. I'll be with my mom in Cocoyoc and my brother. I know. So, fam, I'll see you soon. And uh thank you for listening. Keep the spirits up, okay? Yeah. Bye. Hasta la próxima. Ciao.
0: Keep it real, everybody.
2: The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.